all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. Um, It is very exciting. First show of the brand new year. I think many of us cannot believe that is officially 2024. Um, When New Year's came in, I was like, my gosh, like, I feel like 2023 is already such a blur for me. Um, And so, you know, talking to some passing by people this morning and and everyone's like, have you like made up your mind on New Year's resolutions and all those good things? And honestly, I'm still reflecting, I guess, you know, I don't want to call it a New Year's resolutions. I kind of think of it more as goals for myself for the upcoming year. So I've got a few goals um, personally and in my career and all those kind of things. So I'm still trying to finalize them, maybe three, I think, kind of realistic goals I can think of. Um, And so I'm imagine many of you guys also have um, your New Year's resolutions or goals or whatever you may want to call them um, in your head as well. But if you don't, maybe this is the time to kind of sit back and reflect on them. Um, so today, I'm still waiting on our guests to get here. As as you guys know, sometimes as physicians, patient care, kind of, you can't always predict it. So um, he is on his way. But as I mentioned before, we are going to have Dr. Uh, Jarrett Davis on with us, who is a plastic surgeon. And I really picked um, this topic for today because it is so big. You know, as as I kind of mentioned on the intro, plastic surgery is becoming more and more common and more and more prevalent. And when I was kind of getting ready for today, I just found all kinds of statistics. Um, when I looked at the American Society of Plastic Surgery, it said that there were 26.2 million surgical and minimally invasive cos- cosmetic and re- constructive procedures performed in the United States in 2022. More specifically, there has been a 19% increase in cosmetic surgery procedures since 2019. So that was the American Society of Plastic Surgery. And I think we all know that, that it's becoming more commonplace um, for people to get a little tweaked here and there in general. But then I saw another statistics that supposedly came from a 2023 report that said cosmetic surgeries had near Really increase 30% compared to 2021, um, 2021 compared to 2019, and nearly 50% compared to 2020. So I don't 
know. I guess it just depends on what you're uh, describing as as a cosmetic procedure. But I really wanted to take the time today to reflect on that because I know, as I mentioned in New Year's resolutions, that at least half of my patients and people in general talk about I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to have a healthy lifestyle. You know, the gyms are loaded with all those new gym memberships and we are ready to have a great, healthy year. And, and in part of that, people working on their appearance, just not for health, but, you know, make, to feel better, to look better. And sometimes a lot of people just want to look into plastic surgery as a means of getting that done. So as many of you guys know, when you're looking on social media and all those types of things and we discuss plastic surgery, there are so many things that can be done. And Dr. Davis is definitely going to dive in with us on pros and cons um, a little bit later in the show. But some of the most popular procedures that we have see done is the rhinoplasty. And that's, of course, what we call a nose job. Then um, there's the BBL, the Brazilian butt lift or butt augmentation that some people are doing. Um, many people can even have an eyelid surgery. Um, probably one of the more common ones is liposuction. And then um, tummy tuck is the layman's term for abdominoplasty. And then, of course, there's lots of different ways for you to to ultimately um, get breast augmentation, whether that's a reduction, a lift after you've had a baby or implantate or breast implantations with the lift. And then the biggest one, of, I guess the biggest reasons I kind of talked to Dr. Davis about coming on to the show today with us was, you know, something that's become big is the mommy makeover. I feel like I don't, if it's social media or where it came from, but I feel like it's really hard being a mom these days because it's this whole idea of the bounce back, how your body's supposed to bounce back after you have a baby. I will admit, after my first child, I was like, nobody warned me about what would happen. Like, all I kept thinking about, I'm going to have this wonderful baby that's so cute, and nobody talks to you about the excess skin and how things just will never be the same. So I wished I would have embraced my 20s and and wore all my little swimsuits then, but three babies in, you know, you kind of, I kind of understand why people are looking into the mommy makeover. But the mommy makeover can essentially, if no one's heard of that, it can be a combination of different types of plastic surgery or cosmetic procedures. And it's really this goal for women to regain their pre-pregnancy body shape. So depending on the person, you know, that mommy makeover um, could involve a lot of different procedures. Some of the most common ones is oftentimes moms will get the breast augmentation. So we'll get the breast lift um, or implants to kind of lift from, you know, after having a baby, breastfeeding, those types of things. Things just aren't in the places they used to be. Um, so the mommy makeover often, often includes a breast augmentation, breast lift. Another big part, again, we had a baby. Um, so that tummy is just not looking the same. And that often includes getting a tummy tuck as well or abdominoplasty. Um, as I mentioned before, some people would get liposuction to kind of shape things up a little bit. And as I mentioned before, the BBL or the Brazilian butt lift, which can, of course, enhance your bottom. Because, again, with social media these days, um, that has become just a, a huge thing. Um, and so many women wanting to. 
augment the way they look. So, you know, if your New Year's resolution um, is to get in that gym and, and essentially get in shape and you've thought about plastic surgery, this is the show um, to tune in if you haven't or, or text your friends um, and tell them to essentially give us a call um, concerning a lot of these popular uh plastic surgery procedures. And I would also love to hear from you guys about why you think we're seeing more plastic surgery. Some of the things that I have uh, ultimately seen online um, has been, you know, with the pandemic, people started to see how they were looking on video um, and and many people weren't very happy with the way they look or, you know, post pandemic, some people gained more weight than they expected because we had more sedentary lifestyles um, and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, just a lot of different reasons why people are looking into plastic surgery more these days. So, and as as I mentioned earlier in our call, we have Dr. Jarrett Davis on with us, who's an associate professor in the Department of Surgery, Division of Plastic Surgery at UMMC. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, Jarrett, no worries. We tell people patient care has no time. So um, welcome, Jarrett, to the show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Perfect. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your training, all those things? Yeah, so I grew up in the Jackson area in terms of training. I went to Cornell in upstate New York for undergrad, Meharry Medical College in Nashville for medical school, and I studied both general surgery and plastic surgery residency and am board certified in both. And I've been back here in Jackson at UMMC for a little over five years now. That's awesome. So I feel like I'm a transplant, too, to the Mississippi area from Alabama. I feel like they kind of reel you in and and you're here. So I'm officially people have heard me say this over and over again. I think at this point I'm officially a Mississippi resident. I've been here. You know, this will be year 13. It's crazy to say that. And I've had three kids here. So Mississippi is essentially home. Absolutely. Home for me, too. And thrilled to be back. Awesome. So, Jared, tell us a little bit about some of the most common kind of plastic surgery procedures that people are asking for these days. Yeah, so some of the most common procedures that we see, it includes not just surgery, but non-invasive procedures. So the non-invasive procedures may include Botox injections, fillers, laser, chemical pills, and skin resurfacing. And we saw a large increase in those during and after the pandemic as well, not just surgery. But most common surgeries would include liposuction, breast augmentation, breast lift, breast reduction, tummy tucks, and other things like that. So eyelid lifts or blepharoplasty would be another common procedure as well. Awesome. Well, tell me, they kind of heard me a little bit start giving my my two cents on why I think there's an increase in, in a lot of these procedures over the past few years. What has been your experience? Why do you think we're seeing more people go for plastic surgery these days or, or just these minimally invasive procedures? So I think long before either one of us were in practice, plastic <laughs> surgery was thought to be for celebrities. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a democratization of plastic surgery where a lot of different people are getting surgeries and both reconstructive surgeries and aesthetic surgeries. During the pandemic, there were a lot of people that had extra time. Everyone was wearing masks. So that's an ideal time if you wanted to get fillers or Botox. Maybe there's bruising afterwards and no one can see it because you're wearing a mask. I think we also look at ourselves differently on screen than day to day. And so you mentioned people being on Zoom calls and teleconferencing, Instagram, FaceTime. I think that has obviously played a big role in an increase in cosmetic surgeries. 
Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, definitely seeing like it's like you look yourself in the mirror in the morning, like when you get ready, but then you never really see yourself again unless you go to the bathroom or something and you see the mirror again. But then in these Zoom calls, it's like people are like right there in your face and can and, you know, at that point, you kind of point out every imperfection that you can think of. And then if you're on a Zoom call, you're not wearing your mask. Right. Um, Because you feel kind of silly to be by yourself wearing your mask on a Zoom call. So um, so so definitely makes sense. Um, So we'll just go ahead and dive into some of the pros and cons of many of these procedures. So one procedure I get quite a bit of questions on in my clinic as people are nervous about a big surgery. So they usually ask me a lot about liposuction. So tell us a little bit about liposuction. So liposuction is kind of halfway between a surgery and a procedure. And I say that because it doesn't need a big incision. It's a small incision, but it still is a lot of undertaking. So for the surgeon, liposuction is a lot of work because what we're doing is we're removing local deposits of fat from select areas of the body. And so that's going to be different for everyone. You know, for someone, it could be the side of the chest, it could be the abdomen, it could be the outer hips. But basically liposuction is to decrease the amount of fat for someone that has a little bit of extra fat in one location, but not extra skin. So someone that has extra skin, whether it's the breast or the stomach or another part of the body, probably needs skin removal as a part of their surgery as well, which can be done with liposuction. But liposuction alone doesn't tighten skin very much, and it doesn't address extra skin that you may have. So someone that has extra skin probably wants a surgery that includes excision of extra skin, not just liposuction. Gotcha. And I'll, I'll be honest. I feel like all the like shows that I watch, like it looks so violent. Like, you know, it's like they're jamming this like little rod up and down your leg and things like so recovery wise. Is it a very painful recovery or, or so what does that look like? Liposuction hurts. It is fairly <laughs> traumatic. So I tell my patients that are getting liposuction that it's normal to have swelling and bruising and how long you have swelling and bruising after surgery depends on how much liposuction I had to do. In an extreme case, you could feel a little bit swollen for up to six months. Oh, wow. So you don't see the final result of liposuction for probably a minimum of about three months. But if it's a more invasive case, up to six months. In terms of what to expect, I tell my patients that they will feel kind of swollen or beat up after having it and just kind of sore. Now, for someone who's had liposuction, what helps during the recovery are two things. So compression is important. And then, in some cases, lymphatic massage. And so the purpose of the lymphatic massage is to help the swelling get better a little bit faster. And while I don't recommend that for everyone that has liposuction, there are unique patients that will get better faster with the aid of lymphatic massage. Okay. So do a lot of people have to go back in and get repeat liposuction? Or once you're kind of done, you're done? Or, or are there stages? or? So the idea is that once you're done, you're done. There okay. are There's a limit to how much lipo we can do in one setting. So if you do over five liters, which is a lot, then someone should probably stay in the hospital overnight for observation. And this sort of thing we prefer to keep as an outpatient procedure. So anyone that needs more than that will probably have a stage procedure, but that's not very common. So liposuction is usually a one-and-done thing. Now, if someone gains weight, loses weight, Mm -hmm. has body changes after surgery, then the chance of them wanting or needing to have a revision surgery in the future is higher. And so I recommend for patients I have that are coming in, they're in the process of losing weight, we don't do any body contouring surgery until they are at their goal weight. Gotcha. 
That makes sense. So tell me, so unfortunately, I feel like working in the hospital, I end up seeing the, the not so successful story sometimes or the typical complications. So what are some typical complications um, of liposuction and how common are they? So one thing that I'll mention since you bring up the idea of complications is you want to make sure that you're going to a plastic surgeon that's board certified and someone that's board certified in plastic surgery. I think people would be surprised at the variety of physicians, maybe non-physicians that are doing cosmetic surgery and procedures or surgeons that are not plastic surgeons trained to do this sort of thing that are offering the surgery. And so if you're really interested in being safe and protecting yourself, you always want to inquire about the board certification status of your surgeon in plastic surgery. In terms of complications and things that you could see afterwards, so we mentioned you know, pain, swelling, mm-hmm. that's kind of normal. If we say complication, we don't want to injure any nearby structures. Okay. So if someone's having liposuction of the stomach, that's for the fat that's beneath the skin. You don't want the surgeon going too deep and injuring the muscle layer, anything deep to the muscle layer, or having a problem with infection. And so a lot of things like that are directly related to the skill and training of the person that's performing the procedure. And while a complication is something that every surgeon discusses with their patients Mm -hmm. and could happen, the rate of complications is less when you have someone that's appropriately trained and experienced with the procedure that you're seeking. Yep, definitely. I think one of the worst cases of liposuction that I had seen was a, a poor patient had a horrible cellulitis all across her back. Like pretty much everywhere liposuction was done was the soft tissue was infected and she just was in the bed kind of writhing in pain. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and you think about liposuction, at least I feel like in our mind, like, oh, it's just, just going to suck out a little bit of fat, we'll be good, um, that it's good to kind of know what are some complications as you proceed with those types of things. Absolutely. And so while the incisions are small, it ultimately is an invasive procedure Mm -hmm. and invasive procedures can have risk. And so it's important that you understand the risk and that your surgeon is able to walk down the risk, what the chance of certain things happening is and how they would deal with it. Now, you mentioned the idea of revision. So Mm -hmm. occasionally I have a patient that let's say they're 90 percent out of 100. They're great, but there's a small area that they want to be a little bit better and I can see and understand what they're talking about. That sort of minor touch-up lipo revision can oftentimes be done in the office with just sedation by mouth okay. and um, numbing medicines. That would be a really small revision. So that still is rare, but that doesn't require going back to surgery or assuming some of the bigger risk. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't reset the clock on recovery. That's just a little small area. Gotcha. Now, one of the other kind of common things that I feel like is everywhere when you're looking on social media is is kind of butt augmentation or the BBL, Brazilian butt lift. So what does that look like? I mean, I feel like there was a point when I first started residency or medical school, people were getting butt implants. And now that's, I guess, falling out of favor and they're just injecting fat. I have no idea. So that's why I'm happy you're here to kind of walk us through that. Absolutely. So traditional butt enhancement involved butt implants. So Mm -hmm. they were not the same as silicone breast implants. They were firmer and shaped slightly differently. But that was the main um, method of increasing or augmenting the size of the buttocks in the past. And that's kind of problematic if you think about it, because the buttock area moves, you sit on it, butt implants could flip, turn, be malpositioned, could press on nerves. They were just problematic in a lot of different ways. That doesn't mean that 
you can't get good results with it and it can't be well done. There are some surgeons that do butt implants still, but it's increasingly rare. Okay. What has become more common is what's called a Brazilian butt lift. And for those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, it involves liposuction. So when assessing someone for that surgery, you would look at areas that have extra fat and then injection of that fat into the buttock area. I personally do not do Brazilian butt lift surgery, and there's a reason for that. Brazilian butt lift is actually the riskiest aesthetic surgery. Hmm. And when I say risky, I mean it has a higher chance of dying by far than any other cosmetic surgery. And the main risk is that some of the fat could turn into an embolism if it gets into some of the large gluteal veins. Hmm. Now, in the case of a large embolus with BBL surgery, the patient could pass away during the surgery. If it's a smaller amount, someone may just have a cough or shortness of breath or not feel well. But even since I've been here in practice in Jackson, I have seen patients that have had complications from this surgery. And so I personally think that it's risky and I don't do it. That being said, um, I think it is possible to do it safely. The guidance from the Plastic Surgery Society recommends that it be done under ultrasound guidance so that the injecting surgeon is aware of where the grafts are going and avoiding veins. Um, Fat grafting is a little bit different than liposuction because liposuction we're removing with fat grafting we're adding. And so one of the additional risks with fat grafts is some of it goes away and it can be unpredictable. And what we've seen more commonly is that it's pretty common for people that have BBLs to want either a second BBL or a touch-up because it's hard to stay off your butt for six weeks. I imagine. my not to sit on it or put pressure on it. And some of the celebrities that we've seen that have gotten the surgery probably can lay on their side or face down mostly for six weeks and have someone take care of them. But the average person can't. So you see people walking around with their BBL pillow and trying not to sit very much, but ultimately that's very hard to do, very hard to do. Now, BBL surgery is one of the things that we've seen a lot of medical tourism for. Mm -hmm. And so with medical tourism, there's a lot of people that travel to get surgery. And that's something that I believe exposes the patients to risk as well, because oftentimes you're not meeting or being evaluated by your surgeon in advance of the surgery. You meet them the day of surgery at best, and you don't have the benefit of being able to follow up with your surgeon afterwards. So someone that leaves Jackson to go to Miami or the Dominican Republic to have cosmetic surgery, comes back, they may have a drain, they don't have anyone that's going to follow them, that's going to remove the drain, that's going to take care of them or see them in the event of a complication. And that, as a surgeon, makes me very nervous because I personally want to see and meet my patients before the surgery. I want to make sure that their goals for the surgery are realistic and within what I can achieve for them. And I also want to have the ability to help them should they have a question. So someone that has surgery, if they have a question, they probably need to talk to the surgeon or the nurse. They may need to come into the office. And when you travel to have surgery, you don't really have that option. Exactly. And then I feel kind of bad oftentimes for you guys. So they travel, come back, and you guys are, they come to you and you're like, I don't even, you know, I can't imagine where you start because you didn't do the surgery. You weren't the original surgeon, you know? Correct. So that's something that we sometimes deal with. And, you know, unfortunately... 
the people that we see that have traveled to have surgery that come back and need something, some of them need emergent surgical care. But there's also people that don't have an emergency. They just need a surgeon to help Mm -hmm. them get through the recovery period and to know what to expect and what to do. That's crazy. I didn't realize how dangerous the BBLs are because it seems like it's just happening left and right or, you know, that type of thing. So the fact that you have to, I guess, remove a lot of your own fat from liposuction to do the BBLs. What about thin patients that are one? I'm guessing they're just not a candidate for this procedure. So all of us have a little bit of fat somewhere. Somewhere. Okay, gotcha. And there's a subset of BBL (laughs) patients that you could say are like petite BBLs that you know, they may get a really good augmentation with a small volume of fat. Okay. You know, 200 cc's of fat. And you have people that may want 500 per side or more per side. And so it really depends. And one of the other things that I um, counsel patients about that are interested in BBL is to get a sense of what they really want. Mm Mm-hmm. Do they really want the reduction of the waist size or addition to the gluteal area? Because the reduction in the waist size comes from the liposuction, not the fat injections. And so when we're talking about contouring, there's a lot of different tools to use. But I think that when people think of BBLs, they just think of it all together. Whereas 360 lipos, a liposuction of the front, the sides, and the back can really have a very similar effect. Oh, wow. Without doing the injection. Correct. Interesting. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And today I have on Dr. Jared Davis, who's an Associate Professor in the Department of Surgery, Division of Plastic Surgery at UMMC. And we've had a a pretty good discussion so far talking about some common plastic surgery procedures. But I'm going to hop right in because we've got a couple of calls. So we're going to start with Caroline and Jackson. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning. How are are you? We are good. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your question this morning? Sure. I was calling in because I wanted to understand um, the risk if you have multiple procedures, like at the same time, like if I were able to get like a cubby tuck and um, breast implants at the same time, I'm a little bit worried about um, recovery time or any other side effects. Yeah, Caroline, that's a great question, a very common question. Multiple procedures are sometimes something that patients ask about. There's a lot of different considerations. So from the standpoint of the surgeon, for one, it's how long it would take for them to do the surgery. So I like to do these surgeries as outpatient. And if someone has a surgery that's much longer, over six hours, we may recommend that they stay overnight. And so the question is, can we combine the surgeries that you're interested in and still keep the anesthesia time under about six hours for you. And very commonly, that can include tummy tuck, liposuction, breast lift with implants. It depends on the surgeon and the patient as well, right, and how much work the surgeon has to do to get the result because not every tummy tuck takes the same amount of time, and then it depends on the individual surgeon as well. But um, it is safe to have multiple procedures, One thing that the surgeon will also look at is any other medical problems that you have. So if I have a patient that's maybe they're a little bit older or I think the recovery would be a little bit more difficult, I probably would not recommend combined procedures. But for someone that's young and healthy to do like a tummy tuck 
with breast lift and implants at the same time is not a problem. In terms of recovery, we also think about do the recovery periods conflict with each other? So for a breast surgery, whether it's a breast reduction, breast lift, or breast implants, that's not as invasive as a tummy tuck, and that recovery is usually about a couple weeks where you're kind of sore but don't have a lot of pain. So adding that to a tummy tuck that's a bigger surgery that has a recovery period of about a month doesn't really slow down the recovery. Uh, Okay. Great information. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Thank you for your question, Caroline. Well, we're going to keep it moving so we can make sure we cover everyone's questions. So next I have Tom and Flowood. Good morning, Tom. Good morning and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to Uh, you as well. Thank you. Uh, Your discussion on liposuction just triggered a curiosity. I'm in my 70s. I have kept myself in uh, pretty good condition, but I've lived a good life, and I have these saddlebags to prove it. (laughs) Uh, So my question is, do you do many men, and is is liposuction appropriate for, like, saddlebags? Absolutely. So... We're seeing an increase in men that are getting aesthetic surgeries and aesthetic procedures, which include the minimally invasive thing. So, yes, um, that is something that men commonly ask about would be liposuction type procedures. And what area depends on the individual. So the saddlebag area or the flank area, the side of the chest, underneath the chin. These are all kind of common areas that people ask about. Um, age is not a contraindication to liposuction or a given procedure, but something that you would want to talk with your surgeon about is you know, other medical problems, other medications you're taking, if they would interfere with wound healing or increase your risk for bleeding or bruising. But age is not alone a contraindication to surgery either. Okay. Thank you. I'm just curious. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your question, Tommy. Have a happy Friday. You too. Thank you. All right, we're going to move right along. We've got a question from John in Grenada. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, I just had a question about some of the eye surgeries. I know that um, some people, and I've had family members that have had it, where it's basically drooping down and they kind of remove some of the upper eyelid to, so it's, the lid's not in your eyes the whole time. But I have a small growth, um, probably smaller than a popcorn kernel, and the inside of my uh, upper lid and I didn't know if there's anything that could be done about that or um, if, if it's more or less removing parts of the eyelid higher up. So if you have a small growth you definitely want to have it looked at by an eye doctor or a surgeon. Um, a small growth could be any number of things. It could be nothing to worry about or it could be something like a skin cancer so you definitely want to get it looked at um, depending on what it is and where it is that could be addressed or removed at the same time as an eyelid lift, if that's something that you're interested in. But saying that you have a growth, I think that would definitely be important for you to have someone take a look at it. Okay. Uh, and I've had, um, had it for two or three years, and I've had both a dermatologist and a, uh, my ophthalmologist. Uh, they both said as long as it's not growing, I shouldn't be terribly concerned. But um, anyhow, I was just kind of curious. All right. Well, good. Well, we appreciate your question, John. You take care, okay? Well, thank you. You too, now. 
Well, I just want to let everyone know there's still plenty of time to call with your questions. That number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, Jared, we've gotten a chance to talk about a few things, liposuction, um, butt augmentations, a little bit about the eye lifts and things of, the, of that nature. Probably another common one that I get a lot of questions about from my patients um, is the tummy tuck or abdominoplasty, you know, um, as a lot of my patients and as I'm am too getting to age or had babies wanting to have this procedure. So do you mind telling us a little bit more about the tummy tuck? Yeah. So a tummy tuck is what we also call an abdominoplasty. It oftentimes includes many different techniques with the goal to flatten the abdomen and to accentuate the waist. So it's very common in women who've had kids before. We also have some men that are interested in tummy tucks, many of which have had massive weight loss, but not all Mm -hmm. of them. But the goal is to restore the contour to the abdomen. So we tighten the muscles in the middle. So if someone has muscle separation, we bring the muscles back together. Oftentimes a tummy tuck may be combined with liposuction if there's an area where we like to thin the fat right beneath the skin. So either at the top in the middle of the stomach or on the side or the flank area and then removing a football-shaped area of skin beneath the belly button. Now, with with some tummy tucks, the belly button will have a scar around it, and we keep it attached on the inside and bring it out through a new spot on the skin once we redrape the skin and bring it down. That's something that if you're considering a tummy tuck, you should ask about if you'll have a scar around your belly button. Tummy tucks are usually done on an outpatient basis, meaning you don't have to spend the night in the hospital. It's very common to have a drain after a tummy tuck. Usually the drain can come out in one to two weeks, and the drain is there to make sure that you don't build up any blood or fluid beneath the skin while you're healing. And then other common things during the recovery, we have you wear some compression, and then it's important to stay hydrated and to take a stool softener because it would be very uncomfortable if someone were to get constipated after having a tummy tuck. And the other advice that I give my patients that want a tummy tuck is that I want them to be up and walking around after surgery. So one of the risks of tummy tuck surgery, although it's rare, would be getting a blood clot in your leg. Mm. And so that would be a serious thing to happen. And if someone is high risk for getting blood clots, let's say they've had blood clots before, they have a family history of clotting disorders, then I would probably recommend they not consider doing tummy tuck surgery But for everyone that would be low risk for it, I still recommend being up and moving around to keep the risk for that low. So after a tummy tuck, you can walk around the house. You can walk and get the mail. You can go up and down stairs, though you may need help the first couple days. But it's really important to be up and moving so you're not stationary. Gotcha. So the only scar is around the belly button, or do they have... Or I feel like most people show like kind of like the bikini, like well, to hide at your bikini line, or I guess there's more than one way to do that. Yeah, so around the belly button, you will sometimes have a scar, not all the time, but every time you'll have a scar kind of from one hip bone to the other right along the bikini line. And so the goal with that scar is to keep it low so that it can be easily hidden. Gotcha. So it's kind of like a longer version of a C-section scar. Pretty cool. (laughs) I didn't realize that you could have both scars in general. Well, it looks like we've already got another caller. So we've got Richard from Pascagoula. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Quick question. Uh, I call it turkey neck, uh, excess fat and skin under the neck. 70 years old, and I would really like to get that taken care of. Is plastic surgery an option? 
Potentially. So that's most likely a neck lift with or without a facelift. And there's different approaches to that. A facelift incision would be around the ear that, you know, most people are familiar with. And sometimes if a neck lift is being done with a facelift or on its own, you may also have an incision right beneath the chin. Now, if someone were to have just a little bit of fat and not much extra skin, they may be a candidate for liposuction of that area or non-invasive techniques to reduce the fat. But if you have extra skin that's hanging, usually a neck lift surgery would help remove that skin better. And the goal of a neck lift is to restore the angle between the underside of the chin and the neck so that you don't have that extra skin that's hanging there. One other question, if I may. Sure. How do you how do you go about selecting a plastic surgeon? Understand they need to be board certified and everything, but yeah, so know, board most certified. People most people don't endorse their plastic surgeons publicly. Board certified word of mouth is very important, and word of mouth for the type of procedure that you're interested in, and then something that I think people underappreciate is a surgeon that you can really connect with. So when you go in for your visit, you should feel that the surgeon listens to you, hears what you say, understands what you say, and that you understand him or her as well. So if the surgeon's not listening or is trying to push you in a direction you don't want to go or doesn't answer all of your questions, it's probably a good idea to talk to another surgeon and get a second opinion. You know, you're not obligated to have the first surgeon you speak with do the surgery it's important for you as the patient to feel very comfortable with everything. Well, thank you. Appreciate your answers. Thank you, Richard, for those great questions. Um, and looks like we have got uh, another call. We've got Miss Ann. How are you doing this morning, Ann? I'm doing just fine, thank you. My question is more curiosity than anything else because I'm probably too old to get the surgery done. But I had back surgery several years ago, um, and I had 13 vertebrae fused. And as a result, I am much shorter, and I also have a lot of spare tire. I'm not overweight, but I'm sure some of it's fat, but it would also be skin and muscle and everything else. And since this goes all the way around my body, I'm wondering if there's a remedy for that. So there are surgeries that remove skin all the way around. There's something called a belt lipectomy that removes a belt of skin. So it's like a tummy tuck on the front and a tummy tuck for the back. And there's a similar procedure that we call like a bra line lift that removes skin across the upper back. Um, those procedures are more common in people who've had massive weight loss and they have extra skin but not much fat there anymore. Um, after a back surgery, it's probably not as common to have it. But generally speaking, there are options to remove skin from the upper back as well as the lower back. Okay, so and that's going to reduce my waist? Because my waist size is the same as my hips at this point. So those surgeries, for the most part, remove skin. And they're not meant for removing fat. So it's removing fat that would result in the reduction of the circumference of the waist, not just for removing the skin. I see. Is there a problem because it would, it would also contain muscle and whatever else is there? So that wouldn't involve muscle. These procedures are really just for skin or skin and a little bit of fat. 
So the muscle okay. and everything deep is not involved with any of those type of skin reduction surgeries. Okay. Thank you very much. We appreciate your question, Ann. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Well, unfortunately, everyone, we're probably out of time for calls today. But again, you guys can always listen to our podcast online. And I already told Jared that he's got to come back because we didn't get a chance to cover half of the procedures that, you know, many people have questions about. Um, But we'll take briefly a couple of minutes to talk a little bit about breast augmentation, because that's probably one of the bigger ones that we think people have in general. So tell us a little bit about breast augmentation. So breast augmentation is a very common plastic surgery along with breast lift, breast reduction. Sometimes breast lift and breast augmentation are done together. But the goal of breast augmentation is to increase the size of the breast and improve the contour. So patients that get breast augmentation are usually otherwise healthy. And there's a variety of choices for implant material as well as how to put the implant in. In the United States, the most common location for an implant is underneath the pectoralis muscle, but the implants can also be placed above the muscle for people that are fit and want to spend a lot of time lifting weights in the gym so they don't have any motion of the implant while they're working out. Um, In terms of common implants, the silicone implants are a lot more common these days than saline, but both silicone and saline implants have a silicone shell. So if you chose to get a saline implant, they're a little bit cheaper, but they don't necessarily feel as natural long-term. They're more prone to leaking. If a silicone implant were to leak or rupture, it would be a long-term risk. And that's usually a silent rupture. So it's gel. It's semi-solid, so it doesn't run free and in the body. You can't see it go flat. It would just have a tear that could be seen on an ultrasound or MRI. So we recommend that patients that get silicone breast implants have an ultrasound or MRI five years after having it put in. Now, if you were in a trauma, like in a car crash, and you take a blow to the chest and you have implants, um, we would recommend taking a look at that with an ultrasound or CT scan just to make sure the implant is intact if there's any concern about that. And if someone experienced an implant rupture, we would recommend exchanging the implant for an intact one or removing it. Well, I guess it never, that was kind of my, my thoughts is it's like, are they just there? You know, I can honestly say I have quite a few patients with breast implants and I don't think, or at least haven't mentioned that they've gotten follow-up MRIs. That's good information, I feel, for me to know because some people have their surgery and like surgery, like you said, if they go somewhere else, it's, if no one's following that up, it might not be something that's on their radar in general. And so most patients that have cosmetic implants placed do not get their recommended imaging, but it's something that I still let everyone know is the recommendation. The truth is, if you're not having any issues, no pain, you haven't had any injury, you're probably okay. But there are ways that we can check, and we recommend checking five years after the implants are put in. Now, this is a good time for me to mention people all the time say, well, don't the implants go bad at 10 years? I've heard that you have to replace them every 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily true. What is true is that most people have changes to their body within 10 years. Gotcha. And so if you have implants put in at 25 and then have kids and gain and lose weight, the implant may be fine, but the breast has changed. And so Mm -hmm. the surgery isn't all about the implant. It could be about changes that the patient has had in life or with aging. That definitely makes sense because you can tell just how things change over 10 years. I can talk about say that personally. Well, we've got about a minute left. Uh, Jared, can you give us any final thoughts to our callers or recommendations that you have or things that you want them to take away from today's talk? So if you're considering 
plastic surgery, whether it's aesthetic surgery or reconstructive surgery, which could fix someone that's had a trauma or a cancer. It's just really important to formulate all of your questions and to try to have them answered in advance before the surgery and to choose to work with someone that's approachable, that listens and understands you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and I hope everyone has enjoyed listening today. Today is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health, and stay tuned to NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.